Uh, so good to, good to worship with you here today. I got to say, uh, we had an amazing time away last week at our fall retreat. ACF takes a, a weekend away each semester to retreat away, and uh, we had a great time. Uh, but I got to say, as, as great of a time that we had last week, it is good to be back together here uh, worshiping with our extended church family, and I know uh, our friends at Double AC have had, your, your, your retreat was last week as well, right? And uh, we're trusting that God showed up there, and uh, we have uh, many other campus ministries. We're sort of in the throes of uh, retreat season, and so uh, we're trusting that God meets all of us in these special ways. But it's, it's good to be back together in this way. Uh, glad to be here. Uh, for those of you who are new, you may be joining us here for the first time. For you, a special welcome to you. We're glad you're here. Uh, my name is Dan Min, and I serve as the pastor here at ACF, and it's my joy and my great honor uh, to bring God's word to our church family here this morning. Uh, today, we're starting a brand new sermon series uh, that, uh, that we're going to take right up to Thanksgiving break. Uh, this will be a five-part sermon series in the book of James. Uh, there are only five chapters in the book of James. It's a nice short little ch- uh, a book in the New Testament, which means that we'll be covering a chapter per week, um, but we won't have time to cover the entire chapter each week. And so what we're going to do is we're going to take a portion of James each week and spend some time talking about that on Sunday mornings. But if I, if I could just encourage you, uh, if you, if you don't have a reading plan that you're going through right now, or you're in transition of like trying to find the next thing to, to, to sink your teeth into in scripture in your times of devotional time, reading time, uh, read through the book of James. Uh, we'll be talking about it here on Sunday mornings, and the parts that we don't cover on Sundays uh, would highly encourage you to read and dig into some of those other parts of James that we don't get to cover. So um, that being said, We're calling this series, Faith That Works. Faith That Works. Now, this title sort of has a double meaning to it. Uh, Faith That Works. The first way to think about this, uh, this concept of faith that works, is this is a working kind of faith. In other words, we're talking about an active faith here. We're not talking about a passive faith. Okay, so uh, if you're tracking with us in the last series on doctrines, you'll know that we talked a lot about what we believe, right? Like these are the things that we as followers of Jesus, we as the church of Jesus Christ, these are things that if you call yourself a Christian, at the very base level, you should hold these as some of your core beliefs. Okay, this is what we believe. And in some ways, we can categorize that as sort of a passive faith, right? Like, there's nothing, like, you got all these doctrines that we believe, and we could kind of put it on the shelf and display it and say, okay, here are things that I believe as a Jesus follower. But the Christian life, friends, you know this, is not just about identifying what we believe. It's also about applying what we believe believe. Faith working itself out in our everyday lives. You see, it's not enough to just have a display of shelves on, 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 in, the, in the, uh, the, the shelves of our soul saying, these are things that I believe. The follower of Jesus, the Christian life, is really about taking those things off the shelf and working its way out into our lives. And so that's what we mean when we say faith that Works, And as you'll see in the series, James has a lot to say about a working kind of faith. In fact, that's the title of today's message, and we'll jump into that here in just a moment. But this is also a faith that works. It's also a faith that works. In other words, it's not a broken faith. This is not a faith that, 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 that is dysfunctional or that doesn't 
operate properly. This is a faith that works. It's like if you think back to when you were a kid, you're, you know, it's, it's Christmas morning, you open up your toys, right, like and all these things, and you're super pumped, and you play with it, and Christmas Day is going by, you're playing with this toy, and all of a sudden you play with it a little too hard. And the toy breaks, right? And you go back to, to mom and dad and you say, this toy is broken. This toy, it's not working anymore, right? Like I broke the piece and I can't get it back on. And, you know, I, I've had that happen to me as a parent. And I'm like, man, I spent all this time and money buying you this gift. And on day one, you break this freaking toy. Come on, man. Why are you killing me, right? Like, and so that toy ends up going in the garbage because it's broken out. It's not good for anything, you see, when we say faith that works, and as we'll see in this series, you're going to find that this faith, number one, cannot be broken, but number two, it's a faith that actually works. It works. When you, when you work this faith out in real time, when you apply the teachings in Scripture in your life in real time, you're going to see that this faith, holy cow, this faith actually works. It's a working kind of faith. This isn't just good theology, but this is actually good practice. It's not just good ideas or good theories. This is actually the best conceivable way to live our lives. It's a faith that really works. And the book of James is all about a faith that works. A working kind of faith and a working faith. A faith that works itself out in an active, not a passive kind of way, but a faith that actually, when you activate it and you live it out, you begin to find that my life actually works. This whole faith thing actually makes a lot of sense in real time. And so I, wanna, I want us to open up to the book of James, and we're going to start from the very beginning and just cover the first half of this first chapter. James is towards the very end of your Bibles. If you have an actual Bible, just go to Revelation and just sort of flip your way backwards. James is right before 1 Peter and after the book of Hebrews. We'll be in James chapter 1, starting at verse 1. And uh, we'll read to verse 18. As you're finding your place, I'm going to invite Miranda to come back up, and she's going to read for us today's scripture passage. Passage. In case you're wondering, we'll be reading out of the English Standard Version. If you have a different version, that's totally fine. But if what you hear differs from uh, what we're working off of, that's because we're in that particular transla translation. And we'll also have the text up here on the screen. Miranda, if you don't mind coming up and uh, reading for us, James chapter 1, verse 1 through 18. James, a servant of God and the Lord Jesus Christ, to the twelve tribes in the dispersion, greetings. Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds, for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. And let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God, who gives generously to all without reproach and it will be given to him. But let him ask in faith, with no doubting, for the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea that is driven and tossed by the wind. For that person must not suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. He is a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. Let the lowly brother boast in his exaltation and the rich in his humiliation because like a flower of the grass, he will pass away. For the sun rises with its scorching heat and withers the grass. Its flowers fall and its beauty perishes. So also will the rich man fade away in the midst of his pursuits. Blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial. 
for when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life, which God has promised to those who love him. Let no one say when he is tempted, I am being tempted by God, for God cannot be tempted with evil, and he himself tempts no one. But each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. Then desire, when it has conceived birth, to sin, and sin, when it is fully grown, brings forth death. Do not be deceived, my beloved brothers. Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. Of his own will he brought us forth by the word of truth, that we should be a kind of first fruits of his creatures. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Miranda. Man, Miranda, you've got a real soothing reading voice. Uh, I mean, I could, I could read, I, I just, be, be, have you read scripture to me every day. I, I think I might just call it, Miranda, can you read scripture to me? This is just, this is wonderful. That'd be weird. No, I won't do that. Um, so, the, uh, the book of James, okay, and maybe you heard this a little bit, kind of when Miranda was reading this scripture out loud. Um, the book of James honestly can read a little bit odd at first pass. Um, when you think about the, uh, like some of these other New Testament letters, like, uh, and really, this, this letter is James, the book of James is a letter. Um, like m- much of the letters in the New Testament, like the Pauline epistles, Paul's letters. Um, Paul's letters, in particular, if you read through it, have a, typically have a steady stream of thought. In fact, he might spend several verses or even several chapters on a, on a singular topic or a theme. He addresses issues within the church or issues within a community, and, and, and he'll spend quite a bit of time unpacking just this single theme. The book of James, on the other hand, reads a little differently. James is much more uh, a collection of a lot of concepts, ideas that are seemingly joined together in, in a somewhat non-cohesive way. And what I mean by that is it can, it can read a little disjointed. Even in these first 18, 18 verses, he jumps from one topic to another. Uh, sometimes it seems like in a single breath, right? He, he jumps from this topic to that topic. And you might have a hard time following James' train of thought. But um, if you read the Old Testament book of Proverbs, uh, I don't know if you've ever worked through it. Uh, a couple of years back, we did a whole series on the book of Proverbs. We went verse by verse, chapter by chapter. Uh, if you read through the book of Proverbs, you'll find something similar. The writer of Proverbs, Solomon, writes sort of in a similar fashion, jumping from subject to subject, from line to line. And this is actually why many scholars have coined the book of James as the New Testament book of Proverbs. Because James, the, the, the writer, he writes in a very similar fashion. It's all these various concepts, these rich, rich concepts that are crammed into a short little book with lots of little one-liners and, and, and little sound bites and these bite-sized pieces of wisdom, morsels of wisdom. And he paints in metaphors and word pictures. It's very similar to that of the book of Proverbs. But the reason for this kind of writing is not to frustrate the reader, okay? I think for us in our Western worldview, we like to think very linearly, right? Like we like to think, okay, point A, point B, point A. And in fact, in a lot of ways, I sort of preach that way. I probably, you know, like a lot of, you know, people make fun of me like, oh, here goes Dan, three-point sermon, point one, point two, point three. It's almost predictable, right? Like intro, point, ba, 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 you know, like and then ending, conclusion. We like to think very linearly. And so when we read something like Proverbs or the book of James, it causes some frustration in us because we're like, 
I don't get the point. I don't get the point. Well, let me, let me tell you what James's point is in this sort of style of writing. James is giving us a broad stroke of the Christian life. In other words, James is trying to, to paint for us this sort of grand picture of what a life where the faith of Christ is working itself out in real time, what that life looks like in broad strokes. He's not trying to take us on a journey. He's not saying, okay, now we're going to stop here. Okay, you got that? Good. Now let's move on to here. He's saying, okay, here's, here's kind of the, the landscape view of the Christian life. James, who was also the half-brother of Jesus, one of the earliest church fathers, he was highly respected within the faith community. James had a very focused purpose for his letter. And believe it or not, it wasn't to teach theology. Sometimes I think we read the Bible thinking like, I need to read the Bible so that I can learn theology, so that I can study about God, like I can learn more about God. Yes, that is, that is very much part of why we read scripture. But James, in his particular letter, letter, was not to impart new theological concepts or ideas. It wasn't to teach us theology. It's not like the half-brother of Jesus had like some inside information on the teachings of Christ. And he's like, ah, now you want to hear the real stuff? You want to hear the real good stuff? Like, let me, let me show you what Jesus is like behind closed doors. Like, that's not, he wasn't trying to give us new information or new theological ideas. What James was trying to do was he was challenging us to live out what we already know. And isn't that the great challenge that besets every follower of Jesus? You see, friends, we are not at a deficit when it comes to information availability or educational accessibility. We're not at a deficit. Everything you would possibly want to learn is just one click away. It's just one touch of a button away. It's one YouTube tutorial away. Everything I know about anything, I learn on YouTube. Okay, let's just be honest, right? All of us, right? Like, YouTube, I don't know how to do this. I YouTube it. I don't know what, I don't know anything about that. YouTube it, right? Everything we would need to know. And, and bring that into our Christian circles. Everything you would possibly want to learn about theology, it's just one Google search away. Anything that you would need to know about any sort of biblical theme or scriptural concepts or, or doctrinal pieces about the Christian faith, it is one click away from learning everything that you need to know about it. But spiritual maturity, friends, has never been about how much you know, but it's always been about how much you live out. The issue of the Christian life has never been about gaining more information. Now, do we need to learn more? Absolutely. Do we need to gain more insight into our faith journeys? Absolutely. Do we need to keep stretching our minds and growing in Christ? Absolutely. But if that never translates into a working kind of faith, James says, Christmas morning, surprise, you've got a broken toy. <laughs> Your faith is broken. It's good for nothing. See, a faith that works is a faith that works itself out in our everyday lives. And you want to know what that practically looks like? To no surprise, I've got three points. The first one is this. When we live in our faith, when we live out a faith that works, our attitude becomes one of joy. Man, I, 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 don't, I, I love the way James starts out his letter, right? Like we... we uh, James opens up, and he sends his greetings, right, first and foremost. 
uh, to the 12 tribes of the dispersion, which is the 12 tribes, the, the, the people, the Jewish believers everywhere scattered about. He's, he's essentially writing to Christians everywhere. And the first thing that he says to the Christian community out there is, count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. You know, it strikes me that James could have started out his letter with anything, any way he wanted to. He could have offered a loving word of encouragement. Hey, Christians everywhere, I know you guys are experiencing persecution, but hang in there. You know, like, you know, God is with you. And this, he could have offered an uplifting message, maybe inspire his readers just a little bit. I mean, Paul did a lot of that, like inspiring his readers. But no, James starts off by saying, hey, guys, when you face hard times, consider it a joy. Count it a joy. You know, it almost, this moment feels almost like that moment when you're scrolling through social media, or, you know what I'm talking, like you're scrolling through TikTok or Instagram or whatever sort, and you're scrolling through videos and posts, and, and you come across a post that's not particularly interesting to you, or in spite, it doesn't move you, it doesn't grab your soul in any kind of way, you know, like, you know, in that moment, what's your inclination? Your inclination is to swipe, pass, next, skip. You see, this verse to me in James feels a lot like that. It, it, I imagine his listeners listening to James and being like, cool, next. Consider it all, count it all joy, my brothers, when you face, brothers and sisters, when you face trials of many kinds. Um, that doesn't really grab me, James. That doesn't move my soul. Skip next. Like, let me get, let me get to the stupid dance. Like, you know, like, the, let me get to the to real, like, TikToks. Let me get to all the fun stuff, right? Like, I imagine his listeners would have felt like that, that, that verse would have landed on their souls a little bit like that. But you got to see something. James does something clever here. He addresses right out of the gate what every human being on earth has in common. You have this in common with the people sitting next to you. I have this in common with you. You have this in common with me. So long as we are human, we all face hardships. Can someone say amen, right? Amen. Like we all face trials. Maybe even in the last 24 hours, you're like, yup, I can name it. I can point to it. I've gone through some stuff. I've gone through some stuff in the last week. I'm going through some stuff right now. There's some stuff, there's some hardships and trials that I am processing through right now. Every human being, every single one of us faces hardships. But the difference between someone who has put their faith in Jesus, someone who, is, who has a working kind of faith versus someone who has not, lies in their response to the hardships of life. You see, for the person who has not put their faith in Jesus, their hardships end up becoming the end of them. Their hardships end up becoming the end of them. Their hardships overtake them. Their hardships overwhelm them. Their hardships, in many cases, their life is thrown off course entirely by some of life's hardships. But for the life of the believer... The life of someone who has, his, has this working kind of faith, they're able to respond to those moments of hardships with a different kind of attitude. They can count those moments as joy. Why? Not because they're a glutton for punishment, but because they know that that hardship is not the end of the story. 
They know that God, the God behind their faith is actually up to something bigger in that moment, in that season of life. That's why James was getting at when, when he said, for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. This is verse three, right? You know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. In other words, this trial is not the end of you, but it's actually producing something greater in you. This is the beginning of something greater in you. Verse 4, and let steadfastness have its full effect that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. Friends, hear me. People of joy lack nothing. If you've come across someone who is truly joyful, who possesses, embodies the joy of the Holy Spirit, the joy of Christ, the abiding joy of Christ in their lives, you'll notice these people, they lack nothing. People of true deep joy can go through the toughest of times and still be grounded in deep abiding joy because their joy, unlike happiness, doesn't rise and fall based on their circumstances. If we had time, I'd unpack that just a little bit more, but I'll just say, that, I'll say this. For the person who has a working kind of faith, their joy is tethered to the God who is producing something bigger and greater in them, even through their trials. So that's why, that's why James says, hey, you can do this. You can consider it pure joy when you face trials of many kinds. Because you have a God who is up to something far bigger than the thing that you're going through. He is producing something in you that is far more grounded. But you know, th this actually requires a second piece. In order for us to become people of joy, to have, have an attitude of joy, we see another indicator of a faith that works, and that is our petition becomes for wisdom. Our petition becomes for wisdom. And I'm talking about our petition before God. You see, when you have a faith that works, your prayers no longer become, oh God, get me out of this situation. When you have a faith that works, a living, working out kind of faith, the kind of faith that James is talking about all throughout these five chapters, we no longer pray. Our petition no longer becomes, oh God, take me out of this hardship. Take me out. Remove this trial from my life. Now, there's nothing wrong with those kinds of prayers. We see those prayers all the time in the book of Psalms. In fact, the Bible tells us to bring our petitions before God. That's a good and noble thing. But as you begin to work out your faith in real time, more often than not, you're actually going to find yourself praying prayers that lean more in the ways of wisdom. You're going to find yourself asking God for wisdom. Friends, did you know that knowledge and wisdom are two different things? Again, James isn't out here trying to drop more knowledge on us. Knowledge is good, but wisdom is better. Knowledge is knowing a bunch of stuff. Wisdom is knowing what to do and how to apply all the stuff that we know. Knowledge is good, Wisdom is better. So, for example, I'm reading a book right now on how to be a better conversationalist. Uh, it's, it's, a, it's a book. It's a great book. It's written by a friend, a, a, a colleague of mine. Her name's Heather Holloman. She's actually a faculty member here at Penn State, a member at our sponsored church, the State College Alliance Church. It's the, the, the book is called uh, Six Conversations. And, and she, she writes this book. She's written this book on, on helping people have better conversations day to day. Um, and it might be worthwhile for some of you to pick up that book because I've talked to some of you and you, you, need, you need some help, you know, I'm just, I'm just saying. No, I'm kidding, I'm kidding. You know, we all can grow in this area. Let's just acknowledge it. We all can, we all can be better. That, that's why I'm reading this book. I can grow in this area. And this book has lots of helpful information. But if I absorb all the information, 
It's, it's, it's like painfully practical. Like it's so practical. Like uh, Heather lays out all these practical pieces and, and just lots of pages, pages full of great information. But if I absorb all this information and I fail to exercise wisdom in my conversations with people, it's likely that I will end up doing the very thing that this book is trying to prevent me from doing, having poor conversations, having the wrong types of conversations in the wrong types of settings with the wrong types of people in all the wrong types of ways. I don't need more information. I actually need greater wisdom. You see, I think part of the reason why it's so hard for people to find joy in the midst of their trials is because they're only operating out of a place of knowledge. Can I, can I just say this? In our moments of hardships and trials, our knowledge is informing that the thing that we're going through is hard, it's painful, it's confusing, and it just flat out stinks. That's knowledge, okay? We know those things to be true in those moments. And if that's all the information that you have, then you'll never find joy in those moments. That's why James, did you catch it? In verse six, he says, but let him ask for wisdom and faith with no doubting for the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea that is driven and tossed by the wind. For that person must not suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. He is a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. Now remember reading that for the first time, being like, whoa, <laughs> James, ease up there, bro. Like this, you, you, why are you, why are you being so hard on us? Like, and, and listen, James, you need to understand this. James isn't trying to be insulting here. I think sometimes we read that and you're like, man, this is, he, he is a double-minded man. He won't receive anything from the Lord. He's unstable in all, all his ways. Like James is not trying to be insulting here. He's simply saying, this is what happens when you operate out of knowledge alone. You see, the problem with knowledge is that knowledge more or less states the obvious. This trial is hard, period. Thank you, Captain Obvious. Like, that's, you know, like, this is hard. What I'm going through is hard. That's what knowledge does. Knowledge informs us of what is present, that, 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 that is our present current reality. This trial is hard. Wisdom, on the other hand, is the ability to see beyond the obvious. This trial is hard, yes, but God is up to something bigger here. You see, wisdom says, I know what I'm going through is hard, but I know that God is teaching me something valuable here in this moment that I cannot learn elsewhere. I know this is difficult. I know what I'm going through is painful, but I know that God is here with me and he's stretching me, he's molding me, he's growing me and maturing me in him. You see, now that's wisdom talking. Knowledge says, this is hard. Wisdom says, yes, but, dot, dot, dot. Knowledge states the obvious. Wisdom sees beyond the obvious. When we begin to live out our faith in a, in a way that works, a working kind of faith, our petitions before God becomes for greater wisdom. We no longer cry out, oh, God, save me from this thing. But in wisdom, we pray, oh, God, show me what you're up to here. 
the, the person who operates out of knowledge, the sort of double-minded person, unstable in all his ways, gets rocked because all they're building their life on is a life built on knowledge. This is hard. But the person who has a faith that works, where their petition becomes, oh God, would you grant me greater wisdom? They start building their lives on a way that says, oh God, I see that you're up to something else here. See, our attitude becomes one of joy. And our petitions become for greater wisdom. And lastly, our desires become for him. Our desires become for God and God alone. In the second half of today's passage, we won't unpack all of it, but James addresses the issue of our desires here. He addresses the rich man's desires for riches that will eventually fade away. And then he addresses the desires of our own hearts that lead us into temptation, and which then leads us into sin. And then he ends by saying in verse 17, again, like he, again, if you just, just work through James, you're like, okay, you're talking about the rich man here, talk about the lowly, the high, the poor, the da, 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 like, and then you talk about like the desires of our own hearts being enticed and lured by our own desires, leads us into temptation, which then leads to sin, which then leads to death, like then, and then he gets to verse 17, he says, Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights with, with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. There's no variation or shadow due to change. Our riches will fade. They will come and go. Earthly goods and resources will come and go. Our status will come and go. Our understanding of our own value and worth rises and falls and all of these things like we are hopelessly flawed human beings. But James says, hey, I want you to take a moment. Just look up for a minute. Look up. See, the rich man spends his whole life looking down. What kind of earthly resources, what kind of things can I acquire for myself? And he says, oh, no, no, okay, hang on. Just look up for a minute and what you'll see is that you have a father of lights who has no variation, no change. He doesn't fade. He doesn't turn. He doesn't, he is perfectly good. And from that perfect goodness of his heart, he gives his gifts every good and perfect gift. I want, you to, I want us to understand what he's saying here. What James is saying here in this, in this talking about like, the rich man desires for greater riches. Uh, our hearts desire for things and, and things of the flesh, and we're, we're, we're brought into these moments of temptation, then which leads into sin. He's addressing the issue of desire here. What James is saying is our lives move in the direction of our strongest desires. Our lives move in the direction of our strongest desires. It's amazing when this happens, but every once in a while I'll be driving. And all of a sudden, I'll be hit with a craving for a hot fudge vanilla sundae from McDonald's. I know it's trashy. I know it's gross. I know it's like, it's like oh, man, all so artificial. But, oh, it's divine. It's divine. Like just the, 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 the cold, soft serve and that little plastic cup with a hot fudge just draped over. It. And then afterwards, you just scrape up that artificial hot fudge and you suck that thing down like it's like manna from heaven. Like it's just wonderful, wonderful. Like, but like, I'll be driving and all of a sudden, when I am hit with this craving, I can't explain it. But it happens almost always. All of a sudden, I find the wheel of my car turning 
to the closest McDonald's drive-thru. I can't, it's almost supernatural. Jesus take the wheel, like it's, it is, it's a moment where like I find the closest McDonald's and before you know it, I am ordering myself a hot fudge vanilla sundae at the teller. Our lives move in the direction of our strongest desires. James says, The rich man desires riches that will fade. We as human beings have strong desires that lead us into temptation, which then leads us into sin. The point that he's making here, friends, is this. The person who has a working kind of faith has learned how to direct all of those desires for God in such a way that everything that we are desiring for is met by the Father of lights. It's met by this God who gives us every good and perfect gift. He has an endless supply of hot fudge vanilla sundae. And so we don't have to go here and there to find the good gifts that our hearts and souls ache and hunger for. The psalmist says in Psalm 37, delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. And so James is saying, echoing those same words and those same thoughts. He's saying, take those desires and bring them before the Father of lights and watch what he does. Watch how he will pour out every good and every perfect gift into your life in the ways that we can't even imagine, especially even in those most challenging times. Remember how he talked about the, those trials on the front end? He says, hey, you, you want to know how to, you want to know how to find joy in those moments? It's found when you come to the Father of lights. And in those moments of hardships and in those moments of trials, watch how God provides for you, gives every good and perfect gift that comes from above, even in your hard times. Friends, hear me. God invites us all into a faith that works. The kind of faith where we can count it all joy when we face trials of various kinds. The kind of faith that seeks out godly wisdom, that takes us beyond just, just human knowledge, that takes us beyond just stating the obvious, but that, that, that has the ability to see life and see our lives through the lens of wisdom. Yes, this might be hard, but God is up to something. Yes, I'm going through this thing, but dot, 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 you fill in the blank. May we be a people of godly wisdom and the kind of faith, may we exhibit this kind of faith, the kind of faith where our desires are fully and completely met by the Father of lights who seeks to impart every good and perfect gift into our lives. May God work that kind of faith out in each and every one of our lives. Amen? Can I pray for us here? As the worship teams come forward, let me pray for you. Lord Jesus,